Hallelujah. How's everybody doing this morning? You know what you need to do right now, right? Everybody stand up with me. Let's stand up and engage the Lord and ask Him to encounter us in His Word. How many would like for the Lord to encounter you with His Word this morning? Okay, let's ask Him then. Lord, we ask you to come and encounter us, that you would speak to us. Lord, we want our hearts to burn in us like the disciples on the Emmaus Road when you spoke to them and took them through a Bible study after your resurrection. What an amazing thing. You love to burn in our hearts through your word. And I pray that this morning that no one in this room or on live stream would escape your hand, but that you would encounter every heart with your word, with your living word that burns and is alive and produces life and fruit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to give a shout out to my brothers and sisters who are gray hairs. We are gray hairs for God. And and I want to remind you, um, millennials, I love you guys, you know that that one of the characteristics of Jesus that we sang about this morning is that he has white hair. So we're a little farther along than you in that, but you can still get there. The second thing is the scripture that says in Proverbs 4.18, it says that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, and it gets brighter and brighter until the full noon day. So what we're doing is We're going to keep burning hotter and hotter until we go out in a blaze of glory and get our heart's desire with Jesus forever. All right, come on. Who wants to come with us? All right, let's do it. Ephesians chapter 1 is where I want to start. It's interesting how the Lord orchestrates things and how He coordinates things. It's really cool. I love when He does that, just the service today and the way that that flow went and the things that the Holy Spirit was emphasizing right in line with what um, I want to share this morning. I want to talk about living in a grace-filled community. We're building a community here, the kingdom of God and the community of God in His church must be grace-filled. And I'm going to explain that a little bit as we move forward, uh, what that means and what that might look like. It's really important, I believe that grace is the fuel that the community runs on and has to be. It can't run on good ideas, it can't run on human ingenuity, it can't run on man's steam or our own willpower. How many have found that out? That your willpower will fail you. Yes. You can see that in the disciples. Jesus tells them, I'm going to the cross and die, I'm going to be betrayed. Peter steps up and says, No, Lord, never. I'll go with you. I'll even die with you. And what happened at the garden? It said that they all fled and ran because their willpower in the time of crisis was not sufficient. We have to have a power that's working that is beyond ourselves or we can't bear the fruit that God wants in this community. We can have all kinds of programs, all kinds of classes to equip, but at the end of the day, we need the breath of the Holy Spirit to empower us or we won't get where God wants us to go. That's called grace. 
That breath and that power is the grace of God. So important what we run on. You know, one of my knuckleheaded moments, I have lots of them, thousands of them in my life. When I had a business, landscape business, drove my truck one morning, and I stopped at a different gas station that I wasn't used to. And all my trucks were gas and not diesel because I hated the clatter of the diesel back in the day. I think they're better now, whoever has trucks, but I, I didn't like that. So I had a gas truck. I pulled in the gas station, and the handles on the pumps weren't labeled unleaded or whatever. So I went ahead in that gas engine, and I picked up what turned out to be the diesel. And I filled my tank with diesel in a gas engine. And that was ugly. It cranked up, and as soon as I pulled out on the street, it was... It would hardly run, and the whole truck literally filled with smoke. It's like you lit a bag of leaves inside the truck. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I barely limped my way down to the mechanic, and he laughed. He had a real good laugh at my expense. And um, he said, well, we're going to have to take your gas tank off and drain it out and get all that stuff flushed out of the system, but it's going to be okay. Um, Here's the point. What we run on matters, and if we want it to be powerful, and if we want to get where God wants us to go, we have to live in a culture of grace in our midst. We have been all about in heart of the Father, and we still use this phrase, there is more, right? Who's heard that? Come on, you guys. Who's heard that? There's more. We've got shirts with that on there. That's kind of our emphasis. So we're always reaching and stretching and wanting and crying out for more, and that's a really good thing. But the danger with that is if we live there that we lose sight, actually, of what's fueling us to get there. Then we start thinking if we pray harder and more intensely and more loudly, and if we do this and if we do that, then that's going to get us there, and the reality is it's not. And we're in danger if we don't reset our thinking and realize what our fuel is that's going to get us where we want to go. We're in danger of burning out, getting worn out, getting tired, getting upset, getting, you know, there, there is such a thing as hangry, that spiritual, you know, where you, you can get to on edge to where you want more, you want more, you want more, you want more, and then you're always cranky and irritable. How many would confess that they've ever been there? Okay, here's here's how we get back in the flow. I want to talk about the grace of God, what that looks like personally, and what that looks like in a community setting, because this is all important. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 1, let's just start reading. I'm going to start reading at verse 1, 1 through 9 here, and I just want to linger on this for a few minutes. Ephesians 1, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me interrupt myself. I'm good at it. I do it all the time. So, Every single letter that Paul writes in the New Testament, without exception, he always at the beginning says, grace be to you, and at the end says, grace be with you. Why is that? Because grace is the thing that keeps us, brings us into the fullness of our purpose. It is at the very heart of the whole gospel, and we're a gospel community. So Paul emphasizes that over and over again. That's really significant, I believe. Okay, let's keep moving. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has past, present, or future tense? Past tense. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When you came into Christ and you bowed the knee to Him and you embraced Him as the Lord of your life for real and you were born again, you just won the spiritual Powerball lotto jackpot. That's no exaggeration. Every spiritual blessing in heaven is contained in the person of Jesus Christ. And when you received Him, you didn't know what all you got in the package. Every spiritual blessing. Fathom what that means. It's phenomenal. You go, well, I really don't want that. I want something. You, you do, trust me. The spiritual blessings are the most valuable things that there are. And all of God's riches of His storehouse are in the person of Christ Jesus. When you received Him, past tense, you received that storehouse, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Verse 4, just as He chose us in Him. Notice the repetition of these phrases, in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved, all through this chapter. Because here's the issue. All of these things come. Grace comes through Jesus Christ. It is in His person. We don't have it apart from Him. And the whole gospel is receive Jesus because when you receive Him, all of these things become yours. Outside of Him, none of them are. That's the gospel. That's why the apostles preached the gospel the way that they did. I won't get off on that tangent. Just as He chose us, verse 4, in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. So beautiful. Blameless, holy before Him. He's already done that, but He's also working the outworking of it out in our lives by His Spirit every day. This is the purpose. How many love holiness? How many love to be right before God? How many like to just have that sense in your heart that you're right before God? So beautiful, so powerful. This is part of understanding what grace is. He predestined us, this is verse 5, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. According to, notice this phrase, it's repeated again in verse 9, so important. According to the kind intention of his will. So one of the aspects of grace, and I'm just going to emphasize two of them today. I know that we've heard this, but I also know that we don't get it. If, if we live our lives, I had a conversation this week with a brother, loves Jesus. He's like, I just always feel so, I've, lately I'm just feeling so heavy and so weighed down and the sense of it's never good enough. If you feel like the Father's posture towards you is that it's never good enough, then you're not seeing the truth. You're believing a lie. Because that's not His posture towards us, that it's never good enough. Because we are in His Son. He's embraced us as fully as He embraced His Son. One writer says that all of the focus of the divine affection is on His Son, and we're in His Son. If we don't realize the love of the Father for us and we don't experience that, it's because we don't believe this. That's the bottom line. 
we need to believe. And, and this is a process sometimes. John said in 1 John 4, 16, I think, that we have come to know and have believed the love that God has for us. So sometimes it's a little process of learning and grasping. I know this generation is hungry for affection from God and wanting, we're constantly striving to say God, to have God affirm us. We want people to tell us and to prophesy over us again and again, God loves you, He loves you, He loves you, but for some reason we can't get it and we don't get it. And I know from dealing with lots of folks that people can hear it a hundred times, but it doesn't sink in. You have to experience because it's the love of God, Paul said, that passes understanding. It's not gotten through your brain. It can go in there first, but you have to experience it. So I'm encouraging you. If you feel like the Father's attitude towards you is that you're never good enough and it's not enough, then I want you to go back and revisit the gospel. Because the gospel is that the Father fully embraces us as His children in the same way that he does Jesus. That's the whole point of this phrase that's repeated over and over again, 164 times in Paul's writings, in Christ, in him, in the beloved. That's where we are. This is huge in our experience of the Lord. Can I say this? Let me say it this way. I believe the Father wants us to walk before him knowing that we live underneath His smile. Can I ask you right now, do you feel in your walk with the Lord on a day-to-day basis that He smiles on you? And that's primarily? I'm not saying that when we sin, we don't repent. You understand? You guys know I don't believe that, that stuff, right? You know, right? If you've been at Maranatha, you know. We went over that a lot. But the reality is he wants us to live and to walk with the sense that when he looks at us, he's smiling. That's the gospel. Not that in ourselves we were anything. That's the great thing. We're not in ourselves. We're in another. We're in Christ. And when we embrace him, all that he is to the Father, we get in on that whole thing. That's powerful. If we don't walk that way, we're always going to be striving and failing and giving up and wanting to quit and being discouraged and being disappointed. And if there's a sense of heaviness that rests upon our life, we need to go back and remind ourselves of the gospel, that the Father embraces us fully in Christ Jesus. Everything of God's goodness, love, and blessing and favor is in the person of Christ. And when you received Him, you received it as well. It's unearned. It's freely given. So he's given to us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Second Peter 1.4 also says that he has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through his exceeding great and precious promises which he's given to us. So the Father is all about lavishing, and we're going to get to that verse, which I love that word. Let's read on. Verse Six, to the praise, notice again, verse five, the kind intention of his will. Father's heart for his children is that he wants to bless them, he wants to affirm them, and he wants them to be in the fullness of his pleasure. Verse 
5, verse 6 rather, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Our connection with Jesus is amazing. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We talked about that this morning, about the whole condemnation issue. This is not making light of sin. It's making much of the blood of Jesus. There's a difference. Every sin can be washed away. And the Lord delights to take somebody like Saul of Tarsus who persecuted, murdered Christians, hated God and rebelled against Him and go, hey, it's me. Actually, you are the very God you were saying you were serving. You were actually resisting me. It's, he said to Paul, it's hard to kick against the pricks, isn't it, when you resist God? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. So Jesus actually said, when you're persecuting my people, you're persecuting me. He takes ownership of us as being himself, which I find very comforting. In the hard-driving revival culture of there is always more, we tend to feel like we're never, we've never done enough and the Father's never pleased because we haven't done enough. And we compare ourselves with whoever we think is a superstar. And I'm telling you, the Father doesn't do that. He looks at us in our heart, our walk, and He's asking for faithfulness and wholeheartedness. Beyond that, He's going to bring us to the place of blamelessness, of holiness before Him. Absolutely. He's bringing us to that place. He's faithful. So here's what I would say. We have to live personally with a sense of the Father's pleasure on our life. We do. We have to live that way. If we don't, we're going to be cranky. We're going to be driven, religious people that we're just about the thing, and we lose sight of what this is all about, the fuel that we run on, that's running on diesel if you don't get this. The fuel that we run on is the fuel of grace. We have to have in ourselves the sense of God's pleasure and His embrace of us. That's in Christ Jesus. This is not false grace. This is the true grace of God as revealed to Paul. We're not making light of sin. We're magnifying the power of the sacrifice of Jesus. All right. So, first part of grace. This is a settled attitude of God's heart. Here's another thing that I don't think that we, we necessarily get. All of this is settled. This, this God already decided how He feels about you when you came into Christ. He's already made up His mind what He thinks about you. We think He hasn't. We think He's waiting and then we're on trial somewhere somehow that he's seeing what our performance is going to be, and if we rise to a certain level, and then he's going to really love and embrace us. That's a false view of the gospel and of God's heart, I'm telling you. You would never get there. As dedicated as you might be, how many believe that the apostles were really, really dedicated to Jesus in the way that they lived, and that they were super sincere in their devotion to him? And at the end of the day, they all fell and f denied him. Willpower won't get us there. Our own ingenuity won't get us there. But there is a power in grace in God's heart. This is um, John chapter 1, verse 16. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. 
And the Greek phrase there is so powerful. It means grace instead of grace. And the idea is that when one wave of grace comes, there's another one right behind it. And those waves just keep coming. His fullness keeps coming. His fullness keeps coming. I want to tell you something. God's grace is chasing you down right now. He's after you. He wants to chase you down and to manifest His great heart for you in ways that you haven't let Him do that. He's he's after you. We don't want to let Him embrace us that way because we don't feel like we're worthy of it. Amen! That's the gospel. We're worthy of nothing but hell. That's the glory of the gospel, that God took broken, fallen, rebellious people. I love the quote of C.S. Lewis. When we come to God, we don't come as bad people to be made into good people. We come as rebels to lay down our arms and say, no, I've been rebelling against you my whole life, but now I surrender and I see your lordship and your great heart, and I want to belong to you more than anything else. He's like, oh, we got something going now. Grace. Upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. I want to belabor it a little bit. Grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. The waves of the ocean, can you stop them? That's the idea of His grace coming at you and flowing towards you. That's what the Bible says. We need to have a taste of that. We need to really live before the Lord. How many of you would say that you're somewhat performance-oriented in your life? rest of you are lying like a dog. I think we're all pretty much performance-oriented. I think it's part of Western culture. But the performance was done by Christ Jesus, and we've just accepted and embraced Him. He was the one who always perfectly obeyed the Father. He was the one who had none of His own will, who laid it down and said, I don't come to do my will even when it came to the cross. God, if there's any way this can pass from me, nevertheless, not my will. This is greatness. This is greatness that neither you nor I possess in any kind of a measure at all. That's why we need Jesus. We have a deluded idea in Western culture that Jesus paid the price for our initial forgiveness, but after that, it's really on us. If that's the way you live your Christian life, I feel sorry for you. That's that's tormenting. If I thought that I was keeping myself so that I wouldn't fall away from Jesus, I'd be terrified every day because I know I look in the mirror. I know what a knucklehead I am. I know how weak I am. I know how many resolves that I've made and haven't followed through. Any amens? So my trust isn't in myself to keep me. My trust is that I have surrendered and put myself inside of this man. And now he said and he promised that he would present me to him blameless and holy without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The beauty and the power of holiness is Jesus is the one who takes the heavy lifting and the weight. He's going, look. You get yourself cleaned up. You get yourself ready. You better not have a spot on your dress. You better. That's the way we think about it. That's not what he said. He said in Ephesians 5 that I will present to myself a bride without spot or any such thing. Who's doing it? 
He is. He's presenting to himself, us. That means he's doing the work. He's working in us. Let me throw out another scripture. Come on, you guys. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Paul says, As you have obeyed in my presence, even do so more now in my absence, and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You go, there you go. That's it. We have to work, 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 work with fear and trembling. We might not make it. We might not make it. That's not the point. Read the next verse. Verse 13, because it is God who is working in you both to produce the desire and the power to do his will. Had a friend who used to say, you can't lose with the stuff we, lo- we use. If God is actually true to his word, if he is, just saying. He said that he's always working in us to produce the desire to do what he wants and the power to do what he wants. What else do you need? If you have the desire, the want to, to do what God wants, and you have the power to do what he wants you to do, what else do you need? The problem is we go, God, I've got it. I'm going to show you how I can do this thing. And he's like, please don't do that. I was a young believer. I got fired up about prayer. I read all of E.M. Bounds books. John Wright's book on prayer, a bunch of them. Because that's me, I love books. So I'm like, I'm going to read about it, and then I'm going to do it. And so I purposed after doing that, I'm going to pray for two hours a day starting right now. On Monday, two hours a day, I'm going to pray every day. And if I could have heard the voice from heaven... I'm sure it would have sounded something like this. (laughs) I don't think so. That lasted maybe not even one day, actually. Every aspect of our spiritual life is empowered in us by grace. And here's the genius of grace. This is the genius of grace is that God gives the desire in us and the power so every good thing, we should look in the mirror every day and go, everything that's good about you, God did it. Everything that's good in you, everything that have you, your desires, where you have a longing for Jesus inside of you, he, did, he put that in you. You didn't make that up. You didn't give yourself faith to believe and trust him. He put that inside of you. By His Spirit. That's what grace is. We don't live according to grace usually. It's too humbling. That's the great thing about grace. Here's the genius of it. It humbles man where he has to admit that he can't do it on his own. That's win number one. Win number two is that it glorifies God to the highest degree because everybody knows, especially us, that this was God who did this. He gets glorified. The way of grace is absolute genius. And that's the way the community of God works. And we're going to look at that when we get to 1 Peter 4 in just a minute. So let's wake our way through the rest of this passage. How am I doing on time? Not very good. Okay, here we go. Let's finish out this passage and we're going to 1 Peter 4. 
In him we have redemption, verse 7, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches. Notice that word, the riches of his grace. Come on, say it with me. Riches of his grace. Say it again. Riches of his grace. It's not just a little bit. Verse 8, and he lavished on us. Come on. I love this word lavish. I don't know. I just am obsessed with it. You don't lavish with a teaspoon. You lavish with a stinking 55-gallon bucket and gah! God's grace is not feeding you with a little teaspoon or a dropper. He's got his massive amount that he wants to douse our lives with. Come on, believe in God's heart for you. Believe in the Father's heart for you that he's waiting for you to walk under the right spot so he can go boom. I'm telling you, he's waiting for you. He's chasing after you. He wants to lavish you with his grace. He's done it in Christ Jesus. Well, we need to experience this on a daily basis. Can I tell you something? The people that understand and walk in the grace of God, and I'm not claiming that I've, I've arrived there. I know I've made progress since the days of uh, vowing that I was going to pray two hours a day. Here's the amazing thing. There's been seasons since then and times since then where I would get down to pray, and the Holy Spirit would come by His grace, and I prayed in tongues for six straight hours before. Oh, my God, you're so spiritual. No, it was nothing. It was actually the Holy Spirit coming and breathing. It's called grace. I'm not going to write a book about it. I'm a knucklehead. All, I, all that happened was a power beyond myself entered into me and motivated me to do what God wanted me to do. And everybody was happy at the end, and God got glorified, and I knew full well that I didn't do it. Come on, it's a win all the way around. So to understand God's grace, we have to understand. Here's the two points, okay? His heart for us and His presence and power that works in us. That's the essence of grace. In verse 9, we'll read that out, and then I'll make a couple other observations, and we'll go to 1 Peter 4. Verse 9, which He made known to us, and God's intention towards His children are kind. Everything that happens to us and that He does in us is kindness behind that. Believe that. You go, it doesn't feel kind. I know. My kids never thought it felt kind when we got the Mr. Switch out either. But afterwards, this is, this is the Hebrews, afterwards it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness because he's conforming us to his own holiness. And so we're thankful. Here's what I know. I'm far enough along in my journey with kids to know that they come back later and say thank you. They don't say thank you then. But they come back later, and they go, thank you so much for not letting us go our own way and have flesh that's unrestrained. Because now we see we can actually have a relationship with self-control. We can actually keep a job because you taught us how to have self-control, even though that wasn't pleasant at the moment. In the end, and this is the way God, His love is not a pampering love, okay? Don't, don't think about his love as being a pampering love where every time we stub our toe, he runs up and goes, oh, you poor baby, are you okay? It's not like that. 
That doesn't help your kids either, by the way. It's a side thing. They look to you to see what they should be doing when they hurt themselves. We found that out. So you go, oh, you're going to be okay. Come on. You're strong. You're good. His love is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. His goal is what our heart's desire is. If you're a believer in Jesus, inside of you, there's a heart's desire to be conformed to the image of Jesus. It burns inside of you. If you get down beneath the surface and all the other stuff, there's a desire in you. You want to be everything that God wants you to be. And that's what his love does. He brings us to that place. And his grace empowers us. So God's heart and his power and presence. Paul defined his own ministry in terms of grace over and over again. How many believe that Paul did a lot? And Brendan and I had a conversation the other day where he goes like, Dad, what do you think about that? I mean, we talk about setting boundaries and time and all this, but it looks like Paul, all he did was minister and travel and work at night to pray. You know, what in the world? That seems like a crazy schedule. Yeah. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace toward me did not prove in vain but I labored more diligently than all of the other apostles. What a statement to make. Yet not I, but the grace of God working within me. He's like, you don't get it. You look at me and you go, Paul this and Paul that, and he's a hero and he's, yeah, yeah. But he knew Whatever was accomplished in his life happened because there was a power from heaven that was working in him, the Holy Spirit bringing the free grace of God working in him and producing everything that he did. And in heaven, Paul's not going to get credit for those things directly. Now, the Lord is humble. He's hugely humble because he's going to actually reward us for what he did. Whatever he did through us, would you acknowledge that he did it? Okay, but he's going to reward us for our faithfulness, and, and we're going to be, uh, I think, embarrassed and take the crown off of our head and go, no, this doesn't go on my head. This goes at your feet. You're the one who put in me the desire, uh, and sometimes I resisted. How many of you ever resisted God when he was trying to tell you to do? The rest of you guys, you need to just get honest. Come on. <laughs> I've resisted God in what he wanted me to do a lot of times. Hopefully, I'm getting further away from that. But he would work relentlessly in me to bring my heart into alignment with his own. I don't know how he does that, but he just wins. This is the thing. When we are prideful, the Bible says that God resists us. And can I tell you, you'll never win that fight. You just won't win it. So he is amazing in the way that he draws us to himself. His grace is powerful. His grace works in us. This was Paul's language, I am that I am by the grace of God. That is true for all of us. That is true when we look in the mirror, whatever's good in me. We should say this often because we need to remind ourselves in the American achievement culture, whatever I am, if I have a passion or a burden for this or if my life or ministry has helped somebody else, the reality is, this is the reality, Jesus is the hero of every story. Every story. He's working behind the scenes. He's working in hearts. He's the hero of every story. That's the genius of grace. You hear what I'm saying? And grace has to fill our community, and God wants it to. So, 
1 Peter 4, we're going to be good. We're going to make it. Everybody take a deep breath. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Let's read through this passage. Then I've got one illustration and I'm done. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. So here's what kingdom that is founded in breathing in and fueled by grace looks like. We receive the grace from the Father, and then we give that grace that we've received from Him to each other. So that when we see the quirkiness in our brothers and sisters, we're tenderhearted. We're forgiving. We put up with it. We bear one another's burdens, right? All of these things. See, I find it interesting because we're Pentecostals. We're all about the Holy Spirit. But the one time that Paul talks about grieving the Holy Spirit in his letters, it has to do with our attitudes and actions towards each other. You would think, well, you went out and you did some kind of whatever acting out that we think is going to be the serious thing. But Paul said, no. Let your words come forth and let them carry grace to each other. And don't grieve the Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Put away all malice, unforgiveness, slander, all of those kinds of abusive treatment, harshness. Put that all away because that grieves the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you, we're desperate for the Holy Spirit. I had this phrase going around inside of me this last week, passion for fullness. Oh, God, we need more fullness. We need constant renewals of your filling and of the quickening of your spirit. And the one thing that we cannot afford in all of the world is to grieve the Holy Spirit so that he's not working in us. We can't afford that. We can't afford it in our community. Let's not grieve him. All right, verse 8. 1 Peter 4, are you there? Verse 8, above all, that's a pretty big word, above all, most importantly, keep fervent in your love for one another. That word fervent means intense. Can I ask the question again? I asked it before a few months ago. How many people in this room would say that you love them intensely? Just asking. Okay, verse 8. Keep fervent, intense in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, can I just linger here for just a second? What does it mean that love covers a multitude of sins? Does it mean that love doesn't confront or deal with issues of sin? No. Because the Scripture teaches us that we must do that. The Scripture teaches us that we grow up into the fullness of Him in Ephesians 4.15 by speaking the truth in love. And as Derek says, it doesn't say not to speak the truth, it just says how to. So we speak the truth in love. What does it mean for love to cover a multitude of sins? I want to give you four things that I think it means. Okay, I think it means that we're quick to forgive. When somebody offends us, in any way, we're quick to forgive. We take that to the cross. You know why we can't afford it? <laughs> I don't have time for all my tangents that I want to go on, but um, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother from the heart, this is what you're like. And he gave that parable of the man who was owed basically a little bit of money, 
from somebody, three months' wages. It wasn't nothing, but it was a little bit of money. But this man owed the king, oh my goodness, 10,000 talents of gold. 10,000 talents of gold. Bible commentators will tell you that's more money than was in the entire economy of Palestine. If you, the way that you figure this out as far as buying power is that is, you figure how many days' wages that is for the common person, okay? If you take 10,000 talents, that is over 362 million days of work. Well, how are you going to pay that off? You're not going to. So Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, then that whole debt is held against you. The debt that we have against God is infinitely large is the point. And what everybody else has done against us might not be nothing, but it's small compared to that. So be quick to forgive and release. You know what the word forgive means? It means to release. I just release that, Lord. I don't want them to be hurt or punished or for that. I deserve myself. This is the, we realize where we came from, right? This is part of the gospel and living in grace is that we realize we don't deserve anything anyway. I know this is hard for us to say as Americans because we think we do deserve, but we don't. The gospel tells us we deserve nothing but judgment. God gave us, lavished His grace upon us. So amazing. This changed the way we live, I'm telling you, and the way we relate to each other. So quick to forgive. Number two, covering sins means that we're quick to repent, own our own sin. Number three, it means that our heart is to restore and to strengthen, not to get even. And number four, love covers means that we don't expose the weakness of others, to shame them, to get back at them, to hurt them. We don't do that. That's what love covering means. We deal with the issue, but we deal with it in a loving way, realizing that we are recipients of a fantastic, fabulous grace that is beyond description. So we live with each other in the light of the grace that we have received from God. Whatever we've received from Him, we give that to each other in the community. That's what it means to be a grace-filled community. All right, let's look at verse, the rest of the verses here, and we're going to finish pretty, pretty well. All right, verse 8, again, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Nine, be hospitable to one another without complaint. There's attitude issues sometimes that can come up there when somebody puts us out, takes our time, and uh, takes us away from our favorite show. Just saying, as each one has received, notice this, as each one has received a special gift, that word is charisma, which comes from the Greek word charis, which is the word for grace. So all of the gifts that we have in the body have come from God's grace. He freely gave them to us. Did we earn them? If you're the chief apostle or the master prophet, you didn't earn your gift. It was given to you for the sake of the body to build it up. And so we can't boast in that. That's the genius, again, of grace. Paul asked the Corinthians when they're boasting about their allegiance or their alliance to some say, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm a Christ. I don't know, your preacher is no good. You, you know, this guy. And he's going, listen, what do you have? This is, the, this is the probing question of the Apostle Paul. What do you have that you have not received? Answer, nada. 
And then he follows up with this question. If you've received it as a gift, then why do you boast as if you haven't received it? Stupid is the answer to that. Stuck on stupid. All right, verse, verse 10. As each one has received that special gift, employ it, put it to use in serving one another as good stewards of the what? The manifold, many-sided grace of God. So how do we steward the grace that God has given to us in a good way? We build a ministry, a newsletter, or whatever we're going to... No, we use it to serve one another. That grace that's in us from God that we didn't earn, that He decided to put inside of us, we use that to serve and bless one another. That's being a good steward of that thing. So here's the power working inside of us, this definition of grace. It's working in all of us. And we're supposed to use it to serve one another. Verse 11. Here, here comes the genius part again. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God, the very words of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Notice again in that verse, God is glorified when we rely upon His strength to do the thing and not our own cleverness, ingenuity, wisdom, and willpower. Are you good with that? I want to show you what a culture is like in church. We're all familiar with this because we've all lived in this and still do to some degree. What is it like to live in a community where there is not a culture of grace. I have an illustration that I got from my childhood, so all of you millennials can say, okay, boomer. There was a show on TV called The Ed Sullivan Show. Anybody know what that show was? Okay, there's a few of us. It's a variety show where he would have musical acts and other kinds of talent acts on there. And you got to remember back in the day when I was a kid, there was only four, three or four channels on the TV. So Sunday night, this is what you did. This is what your friends did too. You'd sit down and you watch the Ed Sullivan Show. This is where the Beatles were introduced to the U.S. audience on the Ed Sullivan Show, okay? One of the things that I remember as a kid, this is kind of crazy, but I still do have a memory, so praise God for that. <laughs> when I was a kid, I remember this one act that was impressive to me, and it was a guy who was spinning plates. Anybody know? You, have you ever seen that? There's a long table, and they drill holes in it, and he's got these sticks about this long, and they put plates up on there, and they, they spin them. These aren't going to work because they're paper, but that's all I can do. I would definitely drop and break one if it wasn't. So they spin it on that stick, and they, they do this with the stick to keep it going, so it spins around. There's a lip on the bottom and keeps it going like that. So he starts out doing that. Well, that only lasts for so long, right? And then the plates start going like this. And everybody in the audience, it's, it's, it's actually white knuckle watching it because you're like, oh, my gosh, that one's going to drop. It's going to break. It's going to drop. And you know, he goes over there real quick. He's running back and forth, and he's doing this, and he's, he's keeping them going. And then once he gets all of those up, there's, I don't know, eight or ten of them that are on the sticks like that going. He takes the plates, and he spins them in between like that on the table like you'd spin a quarter and has them spinning like that. He's doing them with his fingers like that, keeping them going. So they're all going at the same time. 
That's a perfect illustration of church life so much. <laughs> so here's what happens. We come, we get saved, we come to church, and I'm preaching a message on prayer. I say, you know what? The Bible teaches us to pray without ceasing. And it also teaches us with all prayer and petition at all times, pray for all the saints. Oh, my goodness. Really? It's what it says, Ephesians 6.18. So I go, and I pass these out to everybody. Get it going. Come on, dude. Get it going. And Joe's like, Joe's like, okay, I think I can do the one plate. Maybe not. I think I can do the one plate. I'm going to pray. 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 I'm going to pray without ceasing. That's what I'm supposed to do. I know when I'm supposed to do that. I'm going to pray. The next Sunday, I come up and I'm preaching about the importance of the Word of God. It's not pa- Bro, this is a passion in my heart. The importance of the Word of God. So we have to take it in, not just read it. But we have to meditate on it and internalize it and wrestle with it. Come on, we need to wrestle, right? We wrestle with the Scripture until we own it. And so, go after that. Then he's got the two plates. And he's going, i got to pray. i gotta keep the, I got to keep the word. And then, yeah, then I keep telling him, hey, you know what? You gotta, don't forget that pray in the spirit part too. you got to go after that. And it's not just your prayer life, dude. You have to have intimacy with God. I mean, intimacy. Come on. You need another plate. Come on. Add that on to your stuff. You've got to have intimacy with God, too. Okay? Don't just, don't just give me the prayer thing like the heathen do that. Okay? You've got to have intimacy with God. So put that in the, in the mix as well. So the prayer, the Word of God. Then I preached this message out of Isaiah 6. On Isaiah seeing God in his holiness. And how Isaiah is like, woe is me, I'm dead, I'm undone. I've seen God, the light that's in there has pierced, and I see the impurities in my life. I see all the black dots. So you've got to pursue, the Bible says, to pursue peace and the holiness without which you will not see God. Dude, you've got to pursue holiness. Come on. Go after it. Go after all of those areas in your life. Come on, keep on going. Keep spinning, bro. All right. Then I preach a message out of Philippians chapter 2. You know, you should have this mind in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, that he humbled himself and he served those even to the point of death. Like we need to be servants to one another. What are you doing to serve everybody in this body? Where are you actually serving? Are you just wasting your time every day watching TV and YouTube? What? Come on, sir. Come on, keep him going. And so by this time, I've got Joe going. He's going like this. He's sweating. He's going like this. And he's seeing and everybody's going, oh, my gosh. There's no way he can keep all that balanced. But wait, there's more. <laughs> then I preach a message on all the, of your money belongs to God. <laughs> Everything that you have is actually God's. You're just a steward of it. It's not, dude, it's not your money. Like, where are you giving? Where is the outflow into the kingdom of your life with your money? Like, are you really being a good steward of that? Are you wasting it on your own trivial, stupid stuff? Come on, get right with your money. Spin it. Come on, hey, don't forget about the meditation and the word, the intimacy, the prayer, and all those other things. Come on, keep them going. 
at your job. The Bible teaches us to do our work heartily as unto the Lord with all of our heart. Like, do you complain about your boss? Do you steal pencils from the office? Like, what in the world? You have to do your work as unto the Lord. You need to be the first one there and the last one to leave. You need to work harder than everybody else. It doesn't matter if the boss is looking or not or if he knows or if you get a raise or get an attaboy. You still do it. Take that plate. Come on. Dude, get it going. Spin him. Don't let anything drop loose. Come on. And then I go after, you know, God's heart is totally grieved and sad about the whole abortion industry. It's real. And you don't care. Like, what, what are you doing to help to stop babies from being killed? I mean, don't, I mean, don't you really care? Take that plate. Come on, spin it. Hard, bro. Spin it. <clears throat> Probably more, more than you. That's the point. All right, then don't forget, the Bible commands us to visit those who are in prison. Have you ever even been to the prison? I'm serious. Have you, like, have you ever even been to the prison? Dude, you don't care like what God commanded you in the Word? He said that we're supposed to care for prisoners as if we were in there ourselves. Come on, spin the plate, man. What are you thinking? <clears throat> then do you know? Do you know how many children go to bed every night hungry? Dude, do you, do you know that? Like, and how much food do you throw away every week? For real, like, do you, do you not care about those bloated bellies in India and Pakistan? Come on, get a heart, bro. Come on, care for the sick, care for the needy. You know, Jesus is going to say on that day, if you did it to one of the least of these, you fed them, you clothed them, and you gave them drink, come on, take the plate, spin it. Spin it. Spin it. Hey. Then I preach out of Ephesians 5. You know, husbands, you have to lay down your, your life for your wife every day. So, would she say that you are laying down your life for her every day, as Christ does the church? <laughs> Here's another plate. Come on, man. Hey, we're not done yet. Pick up those plates. Come on, keep them spinning. So if he's really got a lot of willpower, he's running back and forth like this, and he's spinning those plates, and he's going, oh, my gosh, that one's going to fall. And that's his life in God. But we have more. Do you know that you are responsible to raise your kids to be godly followers and disciples of Jesus? Like, are you intentionally having devotions with them twice a day and teaching them to memorize the her first five books of the Bible? I mean, what, like, what, what were you thinking? You're just going to let your kids go, go to the world? Like, come on, get with it. Be a good parent, bro. Spin the plate. <clears throat> and don't you know that there's millions of people that have never heard the gospel overseas? Dude, you don't care about the poor, benighted heathen that are perishing? What in the world? How much money do you give to missions anyway, if any? And take the plate. Come on, man, spin them. What are you doing? Don't, you can't let any of those drop. 
Like, spin the plate, and then don't forget about covenant community. Come on. Are you building relationships in covenant community? Are you taking your spiritual gifts, and are you applying those and serving the body with your spiritual gifts? This, this is actually a picture that we can all relate to that is much of American Christianity. What we do as preachers is we pile on you everyday plates like that, and you're like, oh, my God. And finally, when I give him one more plate, he comes out. He goes, dude, if you give me one more plate, I'm going to slap you upside the head. I'm over it. How many can relate to what I'm saying? What am I saying? Am I saying we shouldn't pray, we shouldn't have a good marriage, we shouldn't meditate on the Word? Am I saying any of that? No. What I'm saying is if we're doing that apart from a supernatural enablement by God, we will never be able to be good enough. And our sense of our embrace and our acceptance before God will be trashed. Most people's is. My experience is most people do not believe that they're fully embraced and accepted by the Father. They don't believe it. They'll talk the talk. See, I was fortunate in that I was raised outside of the church, and I did not know one single thing, and God's, to God's advantage, I was as dumb as a box of rocks. And He taught me, and He impacted me, and let me experience His love when I was a complete, abject mess. If you would have seen me when I was 15, 16 years old, you, you would have just shaken your head. said, this kid is hopeless. He's a total, his life is forfeit. And God took me. He manifested his love towards me and showed me that he embraced me fully in his son. And my life has never been the same since then. Here's what I learned. I didn't even go to church for a year and a half after that. I didn't have a Bible. I had never read the Bible. But when I started going to church, I recognized right away in Assembly of God Church that most of the people in that church struggled with believing that God loved them. And they were 10 times better than me, but I didn't. And it puzzled me for a long time. Why don't I struggle? Because God himself is the one who teaches us that he loves us and imparts it to us. He makes it real to us, and it changes the way we live our life in community with each other. How different would it be if you got a whole bunch of plate spinners? I guarantee you got a bunch of prickly, cranky people because they're like, as soon as they see this up here at the pulpit, they're ready to take this out. Say, shut up. Let me see you spend all 20 of those plates and keep them going. That's not the Christian life. Here's the Christian life. The empowerment of God's grace and His Spirit in us enables us to do all of those things to some degree. But it's His strength that does it. And it doesn't wear us out. It empowers us. It encourages us. We feel His embrace. This is a paradigm that we have to get in community. If you know that you are well-loved by God, it's easy for you to love well other people. If you know that everything that God has given to you is a gift from Him, it's really easy to share it with other people and to lavish on them His goodness. 
Thank you, Joe, for letting me dump on you. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? That the Father, like you know your own heart, I want our mindset to be changed and to be people of grace. Then we can live like people of grace with each other. But the grace of God is the fuel, and it's the only thing that can make covenant community possible, I'm telling you. There is no other way. Our good ideas, our programs, our classes are not sufficient. It is the grace of God and the moving and the working of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for these dear brothers and sisters. I thank you for their heart for you. I pray that those that are dejected and downcast, discouraged, ready to quit, that you would encourage their heart, that you would give them a new thought that maybe they haven't thought about for a long time, that everything in my life that's good is going to come from God. So my eyes are going to be upon him, and my relationship is going to deepen trusting that he's going to flow through me by his spirit and his grace that he's given to me. Lord, I pray that you would make a, in us a culture of grace in this house where every child knows that they were born again because you wanted it and ordered it. That every child of God in here would know that they're fully embraced by you because you adopted us. You wanted us and you were intentional about getting us. I pray that we would live in the light of that embrace that comes to us through Christ Jesus. And I pray that we would be a people that would be overflowing with grace. As it says in the early church, Lord, in the book of Acts, repeatedly, great grace was upon them. That's what we need in this place, Lord. Let your grace overflow. Let hearts open up. Let mindsets change so that you can fill this place with your grace. Let this be a community that is filled with the grace of God in every heart overflowing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.